0: From AccuWeather.com, this is Everything Under the Sun, our weekly podcast with stories and insight, discussion and information about things that are weather and climate related, all in an attempt to help you weatherproof your life. I'm your host, meteorologist Dean DeVore. Thanks for being with us. This week's episode marks our eighth in our winter series as we head into the final weekend of January, which means now we are two-thirds of the way through meteorological winter But certainly after this intense week with storminess in the west, an intense blast of cold into the northeastern Great Lakes. And now the prognosis for another big storm to go from the west coast through the middle of the country and then head up into the Great Lakes Midwest and then into the northeastern New England at early next week. I'm sure a lot of folks in the United States will wish we were further along in this winter season but here we are our meteorologist Brett Rossio will join me at the end of this podcast to take a look at the weather for this weekend ahead in the week beyond And also get Brett to help explain some weather jargon that you may have been hearing this past week in the news. It's uh, that atmospheric river that's been providing a lot of the energy for the rain and storminess in the West Coast. So we'll talk about what atmospheric river means in that wintry forecast ahead. But in our first Rays of Focus segments this week, we'll circle back and get an update on Project X, the machine learning research competition run by the University of Toronto, and of which Acura weather is a proud business partner and we'll find out the winning team in the category of weather and climate change friends it's time to talk about everything under the sun back at the end of october last year we introduced you to this exciting competition called project x run by the university of toronto ai department a student-run competition that uh, focused uh, in one regard on weather and climate, and so AccuWeather was very excited to get on board and help sponsor and partner with the University of Toronto AI and and look at this uh, competition. So we want to circle back and catch you up to date and tell you who won that competition. So joining us from AccuWeather, our Vice President of Science, Innovation, and Development Scott McCarrow, our Senior Data Scientist Brad Beachler, and from Project X, the Co-Presidents of the competition, Shardu Bonsall and a lot Elias Williams. So time flies, as we've been saying kind of before we get into this here, that uh, we were just talking about uh, our great partnership here at AccuWeather with uh, Project X from uh, University at Toronto. I want to start and kind of get us refreshed on what this competition was, and we're pleased to welcome in uh, from Project X, we've got uh, Shardul Banzel, and also from uh, Project X, Elias Williams. And Shardul and Elias, uh, great to talk to you guys again. Just kind of remind us of what this competition was about and why the University of Toronto decided that this was something important to do here as we uh, have rolled from 20 to 2021.
1: Thanks for having us again. Right. So Project X was a three-month-long research competition that was designed for students to tackle uh, what we felt are urgent issues. This was the first iteration of this uh, competition, and we had three different focus areas where people could tackle issues within climate change. We had about 120 students present from uh, the top universities, and we had a winning prize to kind of incentivize students of uh, 70K.
0: Elias, what was uh, some of the reasons that University of Toronto wanted to do this. And and I guess in the past, this competition's not always about, or hasn't been about the weather. This time, it just happened to be about something, uh, things associated with climate change, correct? Yeah, well, um, this is our first year running this competition, actually.
2: And the goal of the competition is to um, allocate attention and resources towards problems that we don't think get the appropriate amount of attention in industry. So this gives students the chance to um, work on problems that might not necessarily have that immediate economic reward um, that a lot of other problems that machine learning is focused on does. It's sort of like an incubator that allows students to work on uh, complex problems that are we, we view as important. And we, we, for the first year, we chose to do climate change because we think it's the most important problem we
0: have so going forward we may not necessarily be you know roped into climate or weather situations this happened to be the the, the area uh, that you guys wanted to to go first uh shardul talk to me about the number of teams as i remember it it was what uh over 10 teams or so mostly aligned by school but I, if i remember right you even have one team that was cross school uh different people from different schools and stuff
1: right 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 so we had um Uh, In the end, we had uh, 20 teams that went through the competition over the course of the three months. It was funny because we did have some students around the globe who were very eager to get into this competition. And uh, who are we to say no? So, like, I mean, the the point of the competition was to get as many bright minds to work on these problems as we could. So uh, we had a team that was uh, from a variety of different universities, that also um, that kind of represented an international team they they also participated
0: I'd like to bring now a couple of folks from AccuWeather, whether our vice president of science innovation development Scott MacCaro and our senior data scientist uh, Brad Beachler and and Scott and Brad I know uh, early on um I was pointed to this project and something that we should talk about because we were all excited about it at AccuWeather about this project and how it could be uh, something that you know we learn from and help others learn from. So, Scott and Brad, talk to me about uh, how important this was for AccuWeather to be involved.
3: Sure, no, definitely appreciate it. You know, AccuWeather is—it's it, always prided itself on being a real force of innovation for weather technology. Right? We, I mean, we're all very aware that weather impacts lives across the planet. And, you know, addressing climate change is really one of the problems of our age, right? You know, as we look to leverage innovation to address this, we're really thrilled to be able to support and help facilitate an event like Project X, right, where we're helping next generation problem solvers for climate-based solutions. So for us, it's really a no-brainer.
0: Brad, when you look at machine learning, I mean, how, how surprised would people be at the rate of machine learning that's going on and how that's really impacting our ability to forecast specific events or broad ranges of things happening? Uh, do we see that more and more as we get more and more data in here to AccuWeather and, and everything else?
4: Yeah, it's it's both more data and more computing power. And so I think Elias made a great point. A lot of the computing power in particular has been focused on Problems that are profitable and will make money in the economy. And unfortunately, solving climate change isn't very profitable. So, this is a great opportunity for people to do work and be rewarded and explore ideas that aren't always uh, funded. So, and uh, you know, lately we've been getting um, a lot more data gathered in the cloud, almost too much to handle. And uh, it's, it's, a good, it's a good thing to do to kind of crowdsource the problem out, especially to young, talented people that are on the cutting edge of the profession.
0: So back to uh, our folks from Project X uh, for Shardul and, again, Elias. So uh, as they worked on this, when did you know you guys had some exciting stuff brewing? Were you able to see that early on? And, and then I guess we're at the point where we're about ready to announce a winner or have we announced a winner? Uh, catch me up on that, Shardul and... Elias.
2: I think it was really early on. We had three submissions. Um, the first submission was basically a project proposal where they outlined what they planned to work on um, and what kind of results they expected. And I think our team was was sort of blown away by the detail and thought that went into that initial proposal. And we knew that we had something going when that was submitted. I think we've an, we've announced the winners. As of now, I I think we can just we can say um, for specifically the weather category, we had the University of Michigan um, at Ann Arbor Um, win that category. For the energy category, we had Cornell University as the winner. And then for infectious disease, we had our university at the University of Toronto.
0: So interesting. Uh, We're based here at AccuWeather in Big Ten country with Penn State just uh, across the yard from our uh, offices. So a fellow Big Ten school what was their focus, Shardul, at the University of Michigan in terms of this? And we'll, we're going to talk more about them in the next segment or more with them about their project in the next segment. But uh, talk to me a little bit about what you felt was uh, some of the focus and maybe some of the other focuses in this weather and climate category that caught your fancy.
1: I think the judges found really interesting about the University of Michigan Ann Arbor paper was looking at like machine learning techniques that already exist to uh, better gain uh, an understanding of spatial and temporal like uh, super resolutions of existing global climate models. So um, the research that they'd done was about like how current pixelated results that they might have with uh, climate modeling can be you know better enhanced using machine learning tools. And I think uh, judges found that quite fancy. Cornell's uh, was quite interesting where they looked at lowering emissions for like uh, ride-hailing companies. So, you know, the Ubers and the Lyfts, similar companies like that. And I think University of Corona might have stood out for their paper because uh, because maybe they didn't focus on COVID, which might have been difficult to get a lot of data on. They actually focused their research on, like, the black cigatoga infection within the species of banana, which um, which I think judges found quite interesting. I would also like to mention, actually, uh. Carnegie Mellon, I know, is uh, quite close to you guys. Right they, down near
0: Pittsburgh. Yep.
1: Right, right. So Carnegie Mellon scored uh, really highly as well. It was tough, I think, for the judges to decide between the two. But uh, in the end, I think just a few factors uh, swung it toward towards a uh, Cornell.
0: Now, Elias, have you guys decided on uh, the categories for 2021? Are you going to continue to maybe try to put something in there with weather and climate, or is uh, are you still kind of sorting that out here for 2021's Project X?
2: Yeah, um, we're we're definitely we we've taken sort of a couple weeks break in terms of thinking um, about about next year, but I think that the our our intentions for next year is to shift gears a little bit to give more types of students uh, the ability to participate. We're thinking that we're going to focus on um, medicine and health next year.
0: That's a big uh, topic, though, right now. Uh, Scott and Brad, are there any other applications where you would like to see maybe more research and more um emphasis put in on machine learning to help us in the weather climate field. Uh, Is there anything that you can think of off the top of your head going forward that not only project X, but other things that we might be trying to want to push for machines to do a little bit better job and trying to organize things, Brad, it looks like you're.
4: Yeah. One thing that's really exciting in the field lately is um, physics informed models. So you can, you can have your machine learning algorithms and models kind of understand physics on a core level, on a base level that obviously helps, you know, with, uh, physical systems like the weather, but it it can help in lots of, lots of different problems. So I think that's kind of the cutting edge now and we're seeing more of that emerge and it's really exciting, really exciting stuff.
0: God, it's gotta be uh, great to see the youth and the excitement uh, of these uh, great students working on these kinds of projects and, uh, the future's bright for all of us that uh, have to deal in this world of numbers and statistics and machine learning and all that stuff.
3: Yeah, no, definitely. You know, just just to kind of build on, you know, Elias was talking about um, health and medicine. You know, health and weather is a, is a rapidly expanding area. We've been looking at, at things like mosquito migrations and the impacts of health and heat stroke and air quality and, and, and a number of other applications within weather. I, I would love to see additional applications there. So maybe something for the team to consider also including is weather and health next year.
0: Scott and Brad, thank you for your input from AccuWeather. Shardul, Elias, I want to thank you for uh, appearing with us over those last uh, couple of months. And if uh, this uh, becomes a situation, I think we want to check in whatever you're doing with this uh, project, maybe (laughs) as you decide what you're doing in the fall. Again, we're going to talk in our next segment to the winning team, uh, the University of Michigan team members that uh, were part of the winning project. That's coming up next. This is Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com.
5: Listen to Weather Insider every weekday for a discussion on trending weather news with me, Bernie Reno and Evan Myers. You'll get detailed insight into major weather events and learn the why behind the weather. Just subscribe to Weather Insider on your favorite podcast platforms today.
6: And welcome back to Everything Under the Sun. This is our eighth episode of our winner series. And yes, this isn't Dean DeVore. Uh, Dean unfortunately had a conflict at this time. So it's up to the producers to step in. I'm Ken Prell, along with ACU others, Andy, Rob, and Andy. Uh, we're going to continue the discussion here on Project X and uh, very excited to welcome in the winners.
5: Yeah, uh, we started talking about this all the way back in September when the uh, contest was starting during our fall series. And uh, yeah, the winners are joining us here on the podcast to talk about their winning entry. So who do we have with us today?
7: My name is Sanjeev. I'm a junior at the University of Michigan, uh, where I study data science. Uh, Glad to be here. Yeah, my name is Eric Chen. I'm also studying data science, also a third year student.
8: Hi everyone. My name is Amanda Yao, and I'm a senior at University of Michigan Ann Arbor, and my major is mathematics and data science.
7: And I'm
9: Z. I'm also a senior at Michigan studying computer science.
6: Awesome. Well, first off, congratulations. You guys were the uh, winners in the weather and natural disaster prediction category for Project X. This is some impressive work. The title of the project is The Devil in the Details, Spatial and Temporal Super Resolution of Global Climate Models Using Deep Learning. Did I get that right? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Okay, good. (laughs) I'm off to a good start there, Andy. (laughs) So, uh, Eric, um, you know, what exactly was the the goal and the uh, purpose behind the project?
7: Technically speaking, uh, what we did is um, we tackled a problem called super resolution, which is when you have an image and you want to make it higher resolution, right? And so we wanted to apply this method um, to... Images from global climate simulations, given how much they're used in like weather forecasting and the rest of meteorology.
5: So what, what motivated you or what inspired you to make that your focus um, of that in terms of natural disaster prediction?
10: Uh, yeah, I can I can jump in here. So um, I think in a lot of uh, a lot of like machine learning for climate applications, sort of the go to is like weather prediction or like, you know, forecasting events. And we sort of wanted to stray a little bit off that the beaten path there. Um, and so we noticed that uh, this this particular problem of super resolution could have a really huge impact um, because the idea is that you know if you can produce simulations at low resolution and then scale them up later on using machine learning or deep learning, you're essentially you know widening the access that people have to these global climate models because instead of you know having to produce them at such high resolution, you're able to you know produce them at low resolution and then scale them up later. And so that sort of democratizes, access to these models. And so we felt that that would really have a, a wide impact, both on the technical side, but also more societally um,
8: and ethically.
6: Amanda, how did this all come together? I mean, did you guys know each other beforehand?
8: Um, the short answer is that we don't know each other beforehand. The selection process was like in the summer. All the, I, I guess, all, all like data science or computer science students get some email from MIDAS, which is the data science um, like research center in our school. Um, I, talking about this um, project and asking for application. So we just kind of fill out our information and they select the candidate. And eventually we have this like strong team together.
6: And how did the chemistry of the team over the three months change from, uh, from the start of the project to the end?
8: Well, I would say it didn't actually change much because everyone is really like passionate and supportive of the team and super like responsible for their work and, super willing to help others so i want to say the dynamic dynamic of the team changed a lot because we were like all good from the start z
6: um, amanda mentioned passion um weather, natural disasters climate change a passion for all of you
9: our passion is more along the lines of doing some social good and i we felt like whether was like the right place to do it and we had a good opportunity so that's that's why we wanted to focus on weather
5: with a lot of people working, you know, from home and, and doing things remotely, uh, did you find that the the COVID pandemic and in terms of your collaboration, did you find that to be a challenge?
7: So two of our team members who couldn't be here today, um, Alan and Alice, they're actually um, in Asia right now. So we could only schedule meetings at like late at night, like 9 p.m. around here or early morning for us. Which which would be night for them, so it was a bit of a challenge. But I guess we managed to make it work.
5: Would you say that was probably one of the one of the hardest things in terms of getting things going and and really getting the project off the ground was the time difference and trying to get everybody all together? Would it be easier if you guys could get together at the right times or at the same times that work? I would say it would definitely be
7: easier, given that we ha- we could only have meetings late at night when we're tired, or I guess early morning when we're also tired. Um, you can really avoid that, so I think. Um, that would have made things a lot smoother if we were able to meet in person, but we kind of rolled and rolled with it.
5: It probably made for quite a unique experience uh, for you guys to collaborate in in a way that really nobody's dealt with before in terms of how different the world is now.
9: Yeah, Um, I just wanted to bring up a funny point is we've actually never met each other in person. Wow. So even like to this day, when I think about it, it's still a funny thought
10: because, oh, we've been working on this for so long, but we actually actually never met. Interestingly, um, that that is true. But one thing is that I, I found out a few weeks into the project that Eric and I live in the same building, really? uh, like like three walls away this whole time. So that, that was fun. But yeah, we've never really, other than that, met, met in person.
6: But there was, what, six of you working on this on this project. So obviously not everybody always agrees on everything. So how did you guys work through some of the disagreements? Uh, Sanjay, we'll start with you.
10: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think in a project like this, uh, disagreement is like almost necessary, right? These are complex problems and it's important. And so I think one thing that really helped there was we had a a faculty mentor, uh, Professor Sindhu Kutti from the uh, CS department. And she was uh, really instrumental in sort of bringing all of our ideas together and sort of, you know, providing her more seasoned uh, perspective on things. Uh, Because as students, you know, we have limited perspectives. And I think um, she was really key in, in sort of facilitating that.
6: Amanda, any thoughts on that as well?
8: Well, did we ever have a disagreement? Actually, <laughs> I just feel like, um, cause like I question myself, cause like everyone was sort of like a learner in the process, so like no one has like really strong opinion or something like that. We are always kind of like exploring and learning under our uh, faculty. Mentor Professor Cuddy's guidance, and everyone just thought of uh, like bring thoughts, and then we come up with a better like gathering format of our ideas. And I think that's the approach we took.
6: Did the data and information help lead to uh, maybe that cohesiveness, where there wasn't that much room to disagree?
10: The data that we worked with was actually really um, it allowed for a wide range of possibilities. I mean, we could have gone a ton of different directions with the data that we worked on. So. Uh, I guess in terms of honing in the focus, the data set didn't really help. But I think it's a good thing that it sort of paved the way for a wide range of possibilities.
5: How far back in data did you go back to look in terms of weather data? Um, I was seeing back towards the 60s or was it even earlier than that?
9: I think the earliest year we took the weather simulations from is 1979.
5: How interesting was it to see, you know, all those things play out the way that, you know, so you're just basically seeing the the weather for the year played out? Is that how that works? So the data set we
9: were using contained simulations for like the whole earth, the global climate. It had about 16 different channels of sea level pressure and stuff like that. So the frame rates every six hours, we had a new simulation a new image and like we can actually play on video to see like how the whole thing evolved and it's pretty interesting because you can you can figure out where the continents are based on the way things move around in the ocean it's kind of like it's slightly different one
8: one thing i want to add is like me and Z are kind of working on the temporal side so the first thing we did was like we download like a year of data and then we just kind of make a video so that we can visualize what um what's that variable how that variable changes in a year and these were like really cool (laughs)
5: Was there anything like really staggering that stuck out to you guys when you saw something about like the way that the weather was, where it was just so weird and so off from everything else that you're like, wait a minute, well, what's this about?
10: One thing that surprised me is, I guess, um, but I guess now it doesn't surprise me after what I know about the data set is that um, I was expecting there to be a lot of variation, but what it seemed to be was very cyclic. Um, these weather patterns on the on the global scale are, are quite cyclic and they they look very, very Similar uh, across like a year. Uh, so even though, though like the weather changes from day to day, of course, um, you know, these very like macro scale uh, climate events are actually quite, you know, standard and cyclic, which was something that was surprising to me as someone who's not in, in, the, in the field of climate.
6: Where does the uh, predictive nature of, of your study go next?
7: Yeah, so I guess um, our focus wasn't necessarily on prediction. Um, I think our goal was definitely more geared towards that like societal impact kind of vein. Part of our project was to use like a object detection model to like validate the performance of some of our super resolution models. And that kind of involved like predicting where extreme weather events, such as hurricanes or atmospheric rivers, predicting where that would like end up.
10: Yeah, just to jump in there, the the idea is that like, you know if we can make global climate models at higher resolution uh then we can better predict uh the the position of like you know hurricanes and atmospheric rivers like what eric said because you have a, a finer uh scale in both space and time uh to predict those events
8: um instead of accuracy there's also efficiency um considerations because currently the physical like simulation models they're really. Um, expensive to run and it takes a long time. So if our deep learning model can help it like uh, make the prediction more accurate and also more efficient, uh, that would be ideal. Yeah. Uh,
6: how important is machine learning now to solving these issues going forward like natural disasters, climate change?
10: It's becoming, like, machine learning is one of those things that's sort of just like going into almost every imaginable field. Um, and I think it will be a ver- really like invaluable tool in climate science. Um, but I think like one thing that like as a, from a student's perspective, seeing into like what what the research is going on, I think one thing that people have to be careful of is like not just applying machine learning as some sort of like silver bullet that can solve all of our problems, but rather sort of connecting it with uh, existing domain knowledge. And you, you need to have people knowledgeable of both machine learning and climate science come together. Just having one or the other is not enough to make real progress in the field.
6: Um, so as we get ready to uh, wrap up our interview here, you know, what's next for for all of you Do you guys just go your separate ways now working on on projects or uh, do you ever see yourselves potentially working together again? Uh, Eric, we'll start with you.
7: Yeah, well, I think definitely um, winning this competition gave us a lot of confidence. And um, thankfully, we're not heading our separate ways. We do plan to um, continue work on our project and hopefully get it published somewhere, um, perhaps as a workshop paper and like a machine learning conference. Um, Amanda, anything to add?
8: Just besides the continuation of this project, I guess like um, for the whole team, we're all good friends. So like in the future, if we, have, we see some other competition Opportunity or something like that, we would gather again, or or maybe like in the future at some point when COVID's over, we'll have like a reunion.
5: If you took something away from this, um, whether it be personal, um, like you were talking about relationships with friends or something from an educational standpoint, what was one of the biggest things that that you guys took away from this entire experience? Yeah, so. This, the
10: really unique thing about this project uh, versus and this sort of co- this competition as opposed to other competitions, especially in like CS, uh, a lot of uh, competitions are very short term. like they require you know bursts of sort of uh, you know effort and, and intensity. But this project was since it was research, it was sustained over a three month period and I think uh, something that I took away was how difficult that is to have sustained like intellectual output for three months on something. And that's something that we don't really do in school. We have like assignments, short term kind of things. so that was something I took away from that.
7: Eric, anything to add? I think I would definitely agree with Sanjeev. Um, And also, like, I would argue that the time zone difference and just, like, the logistical difficulty of meeting up and discussing ideas, like, that gave me a lot of insight into, like, how a well-functioning team worked. I guess at the end of the day, it was an incredibly fulfilling experience, and it taught me a lot about research and also about teamwork. Great. Amanda?
8: So This project... Like personally, def- definitely consolidate my interest in applications of machine learning and I would continue my study to grad school.
6: And Z we'll give you the last word.
9: I guess this experience overall has been very rewarding and fulfilling. And my takeaway is that like, despite everything being online and it being different from the usual, um, it's there are still a lot of amazing things that can happen. So I'm very, I'm pretty... Uh, happy and positive about that.
5: Seems to be one of the biggest lessons from, you know, this past year is, you know, learn to make the most of what you have and what you have to work with. And it seems like you guys have met that with incredible success, incredible success. And, and we can't, we can't, you know, congratulate you guys enough for, for all the hard work that you've done and, and, and winning this competition. Thanks so much.
6: Yeah. Again, congratulations. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you all today. Good luck on your future and future projects. We can't wait to see what you guys do next. Uh, Eric, Amanda, Z, Sanjeev, thank you so much for joining us again. The winners from the University of Michigan, they were the winners in the weather and natural disaster prediction category in this year's Project X competition. Thank you all so much. Thank you. And the impressive stuff from that
5: team. Absolutely impressive. The amount of work that goes into that and all the hours spent, especially with, you know, having two people in another continent, having to reorganize everything, do the meetings that way, be up the complete opposite of a schedule to make all this happen. It's unbelievably impressive.
6: Absolutely. Futures in good hands.
5: I'd like to think so, for sure. And a, and a big thanks to, to the team uh, for showing up on today's podcast.
6: All right. Well, I've got some good news and bad news. Oh. Yeah. Bad news. We're not needed anymore.
5: Oh. Good news. That might be the good news. Yeah.
6: (laughs) Good news. Dean will be back uh, on the other side. He's going to take a look at uh, the weather for the upcoming weekend and beyond.
5: Yeah. That's going to be coming up next here on Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com. Whether
0: you're at home getting ready for work, packing the kids' lunch, or commuting, listen to AccuWeather Daily, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and you'll get the top trending weather story of the day, every day. Welcome back to Everything Under the Sun from AccuWeather.com, our weekly podcast where we talk about the weather, climate, as we uh, certainly are very happy and thankful to be part of that Project X, thanks to our friends, uh, Andy Robb and Ken Prell for interviewing the winning team. We're going to change gears here and talk about the weather as we always do in our final segment. I'm welcoming in the professor. We call him affectionately to AccuWeather, our meteorologist, Brett Rossio and Brett, um, couple of things i want to do here first of all in this segment we talk about the uh, weather trends for this upcoming weekend and the weekend beyond and what a crazy week this has been the, uh, the cold air as we thought it would you know i spent a, a couple of episodes really diving into the sudden stratospheric warm up and the polar vortex shift and this cold air situation trying to get people uh, understanding what all that jargon meant, and certainly this week here, finally in the, the Northeast, we're seeing really the results of that with this polar plunge that we're seeing heading into this upcoming weekend. But one of the things I wanted to do—we heard a lot this week about atmospheric river—and you know, one of the things that I did with that episode a couple of weeks ago was try to unjargonize stra- sudden stratospheric warm up and polar vortex and all those kinds of things. And I wanted to kind of do that with you as the professor and teaching us (laughs) a little bit. So to me, obviously atmospheric river, I know that as a meteorologist as a very stream of moisture that's aimed at a certain place. And that usually would mean to me as a meteorologist uh, and someone who's kind of weather savvy, that could mean trouble. And it certainly does. So uh, am I on the right track there as I try to explain that to somebody, what an atmospheric river means?
11: Yes, essentially, what happens is you get this trough of low pressure that digs very far south, and it's pulling tropical moisture out of the equatorial regions.
0: So, and, and-, and let's let's stop there. The reason we call that a trough, ladies and gentlemen, if you think about when you visualize the jet stream, if it's got a, an upward kind of hump we call that a yep. ridge ridge. And if it's on the lower side of that, where it's kind of flexing down, we call that a trough, like you would have the trough of food. And, mm-hmm. and so that's a trough, exactly. right? Yep. Okay. Exactly. So that's, now it, we've got an equator So go back to that, a, a trough and equatorial, what's going on?
11: Yeah. So this trough, it digs very far south. So in like this case, in the West Coast, we've been dealing with this atmospheric river uh, that has been basically a fire hose you could think of it as like a fire hose uh just um flooding a lot of uh, the west coast especially california and then you're getting heavy snow in the sierras
0: so it's basically Uh, is it is it in the upper levels or in the middle levels or is it stacked all levels of the atmosphere are moist and they're just directing that uh, kind of flow of moisture right to a certain area so that's when you say it's kind of like putting a hose on it. So you're, you're exactly. kind of just uh, a long distance, a long thread of moisture in all levels of the atmosphere right yep. at one place. Just like when we get a vertically stacked low, that's bad news. When you've got all of that moisture in all levels of the atmosphere aimed at the the same place, that's bad news too. Yep.
11: Yep. And then what's worse about it, you know, you get this heavy moisture that is being forced upward up the mountains, in this case the Sierra Nevada. And that's why you're getting tremendous heavy snow. It's good for the skiers, but obviously you have to be concerned for avalanche purposes too. If there's well residual and, and snow slides
0: back. and stuff too, we've yeah, been yeah, seeing right uh, right yep. like record numbers of mudslides. So when it, does does that kind of phenomenon last? Days, weeks, uh, out? You know, you don't see it hours. So usually over a couple of days, it's kind yes. of uh, like that.
11: Usually it lasts anywhere between 24 to 72 hours. Um, give or take, but in this case, it, it's been a particularly um, intense one, at least in with regards to California.
0: Do we see them in other parts of the country? I mean, do or is this not something that we normally just see on the West Coast?
11: Well, normally it is the West Coast that we're talking about. Um, we also see them in the Pacific Northwest. They are, are referred to a, a term called Pineapple Express.
0: Okay. Right. Um,
11: because because a lot of the moisture is originating from uh, the kind of in the hawaiian island region which is the in the pacific, uh, the tropics
0: right, right. No. and then it goes up and over and then comes into the the pacific northwest right correct um correct. do we ever get anything like that on the eastern side of the country uh sometimes not... off the gulf maybe there's some moisture that comes up yes. and gets drained into not necessarily uh, it's more of a severe weather situation where that that air get or that moisture gets aimed right Yes. Sometimes,
11: uh, especially during the fall months, you can have these gyres that form, uh, these Central American gyres, and they can actually pull a significant plume of tropical equatorial moisture northward. And that's what can bring some pretty impressive flooding events to the southeastern U.S. So, yes, there, there are other places in the U.S. that can see this. It's not quite the same, but it's similar.
0: Let's uh, talk about this uh, coming weekend, Brett. So as we look at this, as this podcast normally drops on a Friday, we uh, talk about this upcoming weekend and the week ahead. Um, We're looking at the potential for a storm that was really kind of fueled initially by that uh, atmospheric river out west. And it's going to make its trek eastward. And so by the uh, weekend, we're watching it come up into the uh, Eastern side of the country, probably making its first stops in um, with heavy snow. And, well, uh, you know, I guess first rain, there's going to be a rain component in a lot of the southern half of this storm. Yep. Like a place yep. like St. Louis gets a, a good dosing of rain. They may be a little bit mixed at the beginning, but then we're going up uh, as we get into late Saturday and Sunday into Chicago And then uh, that's the first piece of the storm. So there's actually it looks like one area of low pressure that goes up into the Great Lakes. And then we get the classic handoff to another area of low pressure that would start to form along the coastal area and then come up up towards New England as we go into the early part of next week. This is a complicated scenario that we see a lot. Uh, and this could mean a lot of trouble, especially for p- folks in the Midwest. I know, again, as we record this on a Friday and this has a long shelf span here, a lot of things can change. You want to keep up to date. But, you know, some ideas where there are some areas that are going to get a significant situation and two areas that come to mind. One, I think Chicago, I'm worried about them. And then I'm worried about New England. This looks like this could be a pretty prolific storm for inland parts of the northeast and New England.
11: Yes, definitely. Um, actually, you know, it's funny that you bring that up. There's a technical term that I'm going to throw out. Uh, yes, this is actually no, <laughs> in meteor, meteorologically speaking, this is actually known as Miller B. Cyclogenesis. Miller B.
0: Oh, say Miller, so the B. Name Miller, Miller and the letter B.
11: Yes, there's Miller A and Miller B. Miller B in this case is when you have a low that dies over the Ohio Valley, and then as you said elo- eloquently, there's a new low that develops along the coast and then rides north and often brings very heavy snow to portions of the eastern seaboard. Okay. Uh, Miller A is something, mi- some of you may remember, the the superstorm of March 1993. Yes. That was a classic Miller A cyclone, and they, uh, they're they often more intense than uh, Miller B. Where is the, the origination of that? That north. one is when you have a pre-existing low that develops in the Gulf of Mexico and then basically just rides north right. and east along the coast. Does that
0: does that little turn and comes right up and it looks like a big yep. darn bowling ball? But okay. uh, yep, exactly. But, but you know what I've been noticing, Brett, as I've been watching things the last several years is we seem to get those. So that's an intensification that occurred over time as it's coming up of the coast. A lot of times now, what I'm seeing is when we get the Miller B. The second mm-hmm. low, the, the coastal low has much more rapid intensification, especially as it's going farther north in a much shorter amount of time than I think I was seeing 10, 15, 20 years ago. Do you do you agree with that trend?
11: Uh, yeah. Yes. In some cases, um, a lot of that stems from the, the tight temperature gradient that you're getting, because remember, you have the Gulf Stream, the warm Gulf Stream waters just off offshore. And then you have the cold air masses that settle in um, in the mid-Atlantic. When you have that tight temperature gradient, you get a very strong um, cyclogenesis that occurs off of that.
0: So, but yes, you could say that. I guess maybe just but- in general, I'm I'm seeing a lot more rapid, and it's not even the winter storms. It's any time of the year. We just have not seem to have a lot of rapid intensification on on systems in, in shorter amount of times, and that always makes me concerned that the modeling is always not fast enough thinking ahead and catching up mm-hmm. on that and sometimes i think that's why storms can at least seem a little bit stronger than we've initially thought so I don't think this storm can get stronger than we're initially thinking. I mean, it, I mean, there there are some thoughts that I mean we could be two three feet of snow in some areas in the interior parts of the Northeast of New England. I mean, it's not out of the question to be able to see that. What's our storm max going into this as we record this? Is it thirty six? I think for this storm, it, yeah. it, it may be. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting, uh, but certainly uh, something and. It's a, It's kind of an, it, interesting too is how benign the first half of January was in the Great Lakes in the Northeast near above average well not way above average temperatures and how much that just flipped here in the second half of the month.
11: It's actually reminiscent of um, January 2016 you guys might remember that storm in later January I believe it was January 23rd there was very heavy snow stretching from Philly to New York City. I think uh upwards of two feet fell in New York city. Um, so in this, what's interesting is the pattern actually looks very similar, uh, uh, to that storm. I don't think it's, it looks like the low is a little bit offshore, a little bit farther offshore, uh, with this event, but, um, certainly something to watch just given that the pattern looks very similar to that one.
0: Well, what we can do is certainly uh, make you uh, aware that you can have all the resources that you need to keep up to date on this. As we go through the weekend and into the week, uh, all the folks at AccuWeather.com will be working hard, including Brett. Um, It looks like after that, um, it's just um, I don't see anything too big on the uh, on the on the horizon after that for the following week. It looks like just kind of seasonably cold air settles in. Um it looks like maybe the storms get a little bit uh, more frequent again out west a little bit is there anything that stands out the rest of next week once we get through that storm that could last Monday into Tuesday even into Tuesday night up along the New England coast and anything that's striking you your fancy for uh, next week
11: It does look like uh during the middle of next week there will probably be will be a Midwest snow event um likely for the upper Midwest so places like Nebraska South Dakota Minnesota, they likely could see some heavy snow, and then out ahead of that, we have to watch there could actually be a severe weather event across eastern Texas, Louisiana, and Arkansas. This would probably be the Wednesday Thursday time frame, um, still quite a ways out, but it does look like there could be a decent storm on the horizon
0: right the and, and another stormy start to the week for uh, the Pacific Northwest this time aimed a little farther north than the last one, right so San Francisco northward looks like uh, As we go later in the weekend, early next week, they're going to get into a lot of rain and inland snows. Brett, I appreciate that. Thanks for the help on the atmospheric river. Take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you soon on AccuWeather.com's Everything Under the Sun. That'll do it for this week's edition of Everything Under the Sun. We will be checking in next week and celebrating National Weather Person's Day, which is uh, February 5th this year, and we'll also be uh, talking about Groundhog Day, which is coming up this coming week. Can you believe it? We've got uh, only uh, about six more weeks of astronomical winter. We're getting ready for the final month of meteorological winter. We're making progress, folks. Episode 9 of our winter series from Everything Under the Sun is up next next week. Big thanks again to our Amazing team members across the world who have been working so hard. We celebrated many of them with the ACE awards this past week. Congratulations to all the winners from AccuWeather.com. And thanks again to our executive producers, Ken Prell and Andrew Robb, for making this work and also for that interview of the winning team from Project X. For Brett Rossio and myself and all of us at AccuWeather.com, thanks for listening. This is AccuWeather.com's Everything Under the Sun. We'll talk to you next week with episode number nine in our winter series.